The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. Today on our show, we're talking to the executive director of Project Access Now. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joined today by Carly Hood Ronick, who's executive director for Project Access Now. And they put their NOW in all caps because it is very important. Um, How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So Project Access Now, what, what what is the pressing need of right now? Yeah, we we have um, existed as an organization for about 13 years, and um, over the course of that time, I think the the urgency and need to support individuals in our region in accessing uh, very necessary and immediate healthcare needs um, has has not gone away. And so, I think the yeah the capitalization of now and that um, the urgency there is very relevant. Right. So the mission is to, and I'm, I'm pulling this language from your information, the, the, the mission is to improve communities' health and well-being by creating access to care, services, and resources for those most in need. Um, obviously, and I think we'll, we'll parcel out this year, I'm sure has been an acute year, yeah. but let's, um, let's talk about why 13 years ago, what, what was it that happened or what was it what forces came together or what need presented itself for this organization? Yeah, so Project Access Now um, is not is a is a model that exists in a number of different states, um, actually. And the sort of flagship or core program is called our classic program. And that effort, um, both here in Portland, but also around the country, um, is an effort to connect patients um, or individuals with donated primary care and specialty care services. So folks who are maybe seen at a community health clinic or a community um, health center and um, don't have insurance and need access to a primary care or a specialty care service that the clinic can't provide are referred to Project Access Now, who then works with the health systems in the region to um, ensure that patient gets the services that they need. And so that, you know, 13 years ago, prior to the Affordable Care Act, that was a pretty common occurrence in our, um, in our region, people uh, needing access to care and not, not having insurance or um, ability to, to get those resources. I think um, what we anticipated was that the, the need would sort of go away or we'd be worked out of jobs. Um, with the onset of the, the federal Affordable Care Act policy. And um, that actually didn't occur. We still see a large number of uninsured and underinsured folks in our region. Um, the population has shifted now and we do a lot more to focus on undocumented and, and 
um, immigrant individuals in the region. So you just said a lot, and there's a lot of what you said is very complicated uh, in terms of healthcare is not an easy issue on, on the, the grand, on the, the, the federal and the state level. And it's not a complicated issue, or it, it is a very complicated issue on the very personal level. Um, I wanna try to parcel some of that out. Um, so I, you, you've already answered this a bit, but let's, I wanna go over it again. What are the biggest barriers for individuals getting appropriate health care? Yeah. So at a fundamental level, I think um, not having insurance or the ability to um, to have your health care paid for is is something that is not we have not acknowledged in our country. This is a, as a right. Um, and so there are a lot of folks who just simply do not have insurance. And when they get ill, they go to um, an emergency room or um, a hospital system and um, you know, usually wait until there's a catastrophic issue impacting their health rather than some of the sort of primary care prevention that they could be getting with with access to insurance. Yeah, and I would I would think that the mentality often is it's it's a gamble. I mean, you 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 need to buy food for today, and if you're feeling healthy today, well, let's let's maybe put that that bill off for a while. Yeah, indeed, and and a number of the. Most of the folks that we work with, the clients that we support, are struggling with a lot of those social needs in addition to um, health insurance. And health insurance is actually pretty downstream of the other issues, the poverty they're facing, the lack of housing, um, access to food, as you said. So um, it is a juggle and a decision that we hope to help clients um, navigate both connection to those social resources and healthcare as possible. Right, and so, so <laughs> I guess the billion dollar question, how do you remove those barriers? Yes, it, it is the billion dollar question. I think one of the really unique things that Project Access Now does is um, work with the health systems. So those entities in our region that um, have robust systems, robust um, care provider networks, potentially more resources um, and ensure that they're um, sharing their resources with those who don't have access to care and access to those resources. So we are taking kind of a 30,000 foot look at the region and saying, who has resources to give and how do we ensure that we're um, transitioning that support to people who don't have the resources themselves? Your matchmakers. Exactly. Yes. Um, and, and, and let's talk about then on the, uh, the, the, the supply side. We've been talking a bit about the demand side. Who, who are these people that are donating then? I mean, and, and why can't all doctors just donate their services? Yeah, it, that's a great question. Um, we are really proud to, to work closely with um, all of the health systems in the region, uh, Providence, Kaiser, Legacy, OHSU, Adventist. Um, and our model is really built on all of those health systems buying into the idea that there are folks who are going to hit all of their emergency rooms. And if they work as a collaborative um, and through Project Access Now, we can try to mitigate and support um, those patients who need healthcare and prevent them from going to the ER. So I, I imagine that uh, Project Access Now 
is doing some of this work on a on a client by client, one by one basis, both helping individuals connect to resources and 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 working with the hospitals, as you just mentioned. But how much of work are you doing for just changing the whole system so that you're not working with this this uh, working within the existing paradigm? Yeah, we that's that's huge, and um, I think it's a, an increasing area of focus for our organization as we actually are, are undergoing strategic planning at this moment. Um, it, it's imperative. We are doing a lot on the individual impact level, but we need to be doing more on the influence level. And I think to that end, um, we hired a, a, a recent director of advocacy who will be working a bit more upstream to look at. Um, how we collaborate with other partners and the state to be loud champions for social change, to ensure that um, people have the resources, whether it's medical or social, to be their healthiest selves. On that idea, I mean, are we talking, is this best, and I don't know that you can answer this, uh, is this best solved uh, by the federal government or by the state government, or is this a free market question? Well, I, I have the, the bend that it's definitely not a, a free market uh, situation. There will always be a need for um, uh, government support, um, and, and that can occur at a variety of levels. I think there's probably both federal legislation that's required. The Afford Affordable Care Act is a prime example of really ensuring people get access to the care they need. Um, but there is a role for the state also, as we look at um, state Medicaid budgets and those being different across the country. So, you know, I think, I think there are multiple levels at which this needs to occur. And I will say, not just about healthcare, there needs to be um, more infrastructure and more social policy change to ensure people are healthy. And that includes housing policy, income policy, education policy, so that everyone is getting a solid foundation. At, at, at what point do you just focus on your puzzle piece? And at what point do you start to say, well, hey, we're just one part of the puzzle uh, and you start to work with other organizations? I mean, that again, uh, this all sounds exhausting. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, and I, I I think we have a very clear lane around supporting individuals who um, don't have access to care and resources. That's, that's what we do. We are a connector. We sit nestled between community clinics and, um, you know, community-based organizations and the health system. That's our job. Um, when you mentioned the sort of advocacy or systems change work, I think we do have a role in being advocates and sharing the the client stories and the patient stories that we hear, the difficult things that people are facing and that we can only do so much. Can you share one of those stories right now? I certainly can. So we had a, a patient um, several years ago named Vilma who uh, came, came to the U.S. from Costa Rica in 2011 um, with her husband, Carl. And um, they came up after a, a wonderful courtship in, in Costa Rica and a marriage there, um, and she had a, an asthma attack and um, went to the emergency room at Legacy. She was treated incredibly well, but um, at that point in time learned her asthma was going to get much worse because of a problem with her thyroid that she had had no idea about. Um, she learned that she had a, a precancerous tumor growing on her thyroid gland and uh, that that required a long process of working with doctors and um, 
many consultations and a long recovery. Um, and at that point in time, she didn't have insurance. I was going to say, this is all starting to rack up a big bill. A big bill, exactly. Um, so she, you know, recognizing that, um, she expressed her fears when she was at Legacy and, and the staff there have been collaborating with Project Access Now and knew that we had resources available to support her. And so um, the staff at Legacy did a, a handoff to Project Access Now and we were able to support her um, in getting both a primary care clinic at um, Wallace Medical Concern, which is a community clinic here in the Portland region, um, as well as providers at Providence to, to conduct a surgery that ultimately saved her life. And so I think it was the staff recognizing the multiple programs we have and the support we can offer, um, and that connection was made. And, and ultimately, Vilma is, is doing well and is thriving now. And all of this, this adds up, I mean, both in terms of success and, and in terms of supporting people, but it adds up. I'm just looking at some of the numbers I pulled on your website. We paid, let's, well, I'm going to round it up. We paid a million dollars in medical premiums, insuring uh, 700 plus individuals. Uh, we filled uh, 17,000 low cost prescriptions, totaling 2.7 million in savings. These are big numbers. Who, I mean, I, I understand some of this is donated, but who's funding all of this? I mean, you, you guys are providing obviously a, a, a very valuable service, but where's the money coming from? Yeah, so we, we are largely, as I mentioned earlier, we're largely funded by the health system partners. Um, they come together in a collaborative space and agree upon a funding model that says, hey, we recognize Project Access Now is gonna support the uninsured in our region. Um, and so they, they um, fund about um, 65 to 70% of our work. And then the rest is made up from um, partnerships and contracts and grants that we have with other entities around the region. And so I wanna talk, I wanna switch gears a little bit. Um, we've talked, you, you've mentioned the Affordable Care Act a couple of times. I mean, didn't Obama solve all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I think we all anticipated that, um, that the healthcare issues would, or access to healthcare issues would be solved with that legislation. And I do not want to minimize, I mean, that is a landmark effort um, that, that I think has fundamentally changed the bedrock of our country in terms of healthcare. And we still have a long way to go in terms of recognizing um, that our immigrant populations, our undocumented individuals are still um, very much members of our country contributing to the, the wealth of um, diversity that we have and they are not able to access that, that legislation or that um, policy change. So I think, again, that's largely who we work with and um, I think there's a lot of, of work still to determine how we really make um, healthcare accessible for everyone. So if you were president for a day or secretary of health or, or, or speaker of the house, whoever has, you know, wherever the, the uh, legislative pressure point would be, uh, is, there, is there something that you would do? Is there an immediate thing that you would, uh, uh, legislation you'd put forward? That's a hard question, I, I recognize. It is a hard, well, it's a hard question and, you know, simple in some ways. I, I think fundamentally offering um, insurance for everyone is, uh, regardless of immigration status or, um, you know, documentation um, is, is imperative. And that not only 
ensures that we're messaging we value all human beings, but also uh, in the long run would save the whole system money. Um, so I think that that's one policy change that's huge. And I know our state is actually considering a cover all people uh, policy. Um, currently, our, our governor is pushing for that and, and we're strong supporters of that as an organization. Um, I will also say that is not going to solve the problem related to unequal um, health outcomes and inequities associated with um, with health. Again, healthcare is one piece of it. And if people don't have access to jobs or education, they're still going to be unwell, even with insurance. Carly Hood Ronick is executive director for Project Access Now. Um, how about a song break here? You brought something in. I did. I would love to hear Watina by Andy Palacio. Fantastic. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. This is Phil Bussey. I'm talking to Carly Hood Ronick, who's Executive Director for Project Access Now. Now, you must really feel at a crossroads. I mean, in the last year, the two most pressing, pressing issues that really have been spoken about are public health and equity. And this is what you do. Um, I mean, in some ways it's, it must be horrifying and in some ways it must be electrifying that, you, that what you do is, is right at the uh, forefront of everything. What are some of the positive lessons uh, COVID vaccination has been providing in terms of healthcare access? Yeah, I, I think the, um, you're 100% right. It is, it's been both uh, gratifying in some ways, but this work has come to the forefront and um, horrifying for, for those of us who have been screaming it for years. Um, I think the, the vaccination efforts have done um, an incredible job showing the, the amazing um, feat that public health can achieve or accomplish with the resources behind it. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, I, I heard recently the convention center here in Portland was vaccinating 1,500 people an hour. Um, and, and now the, the governor has rolled out vaccination efforts to um, be, to reach all people um, above 16 by April 19th, much sooner than we thought. So I think within a year of this pandemic hitting the entire globe, we have a, a vaccine and that's pretty incredible. Um, public health is not typically well-funded. And so I think we've also hit a lot of stumbling blocks around um, quickly rolling out the vaccine, recognizing um, you know, how, to, how to support communities that need it um, above others. So I don't, I don't think it's been smooth and I've been really um, heartened to see uh, how quickly, just a year, we've been able to start vaccinating people. And, and I wanna talk a little bit about uh, your background. Let's, we're gonna switch over a little bit. Um, you know, this is somewhat heady stuff that you do. And obviously, it's, it's, obviously it's, it is providing or helping get access for healthcare for individuals. And that's, that's very much boots on the ground. But at the same time, you're also existing in a very heady space in terms of the legislation and the public policy. When did you, I mean, did you have a aha moment that you're like, this is the work I wanna do. I, I, you don't wanna work as a doctor in a clinic, but you want to work more in the public policy because that's, that's, that's a fairly sophisticated idea to have, right? Yeah, well, it's it's actually interesting that you would you would say I, I don't want to be a doctor in a clinic. I I originally went to um, to school undergrad thinking I did want to be a doctor, and I think I pretty quickly realized that sort of one on one working with an individual is not how I thrive. I think my brain is a, uh, thinks at a at a different systems level and. It was actually in, I think, Economics 101 that I said, oh my gosh, this is my jam. I love thinking about how people thrive based on the environments that they're in. And, um, you know, spending some time internationally working, I was able to see different governmental uh, setups and how that allowed people to, uh, you know, do well or, or not do well. And so I think that's, that's how I realized policy was probably more appropriate for my brain chemistry. <laughs> Well, it's good. I think economics 101, when some people are saying this is my jam, they, they sometimes end up as investment bankers instead. <laughs> so, 
you you did not you you went to the good side not the dark yeah. side yeah and so you you were at lewis and clark is that correct yes i i am an oregon native um went to lewis and clark many many years ago but yeah studied economics there and um feel feel strongly that liberal arts is a is a, is a great place for um people who don't know what they want to do and and then and then went to uh, the Robert LaFollette School of Public Affairs. Can you tell us a little bit about what a school of public affairs is, and 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 how that helped you uh, get ready uh, with this philosophy to 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 take action? Yeah, uh, the the Robert LaFollette School of Public Affairs is um, is a policy degree largely. Um, you you focus on a combination of kind of looking at cost benefit analysis and um, the legislative process, which I, I knew very little about going into it. Um, and it really prepares you to, to think about, even if you're in a nonprofit or if you're in a government, how do you make decisions about, um, about change, whether that's little policy within an organization or big picture policy that's impacting a lot of people. And I was really attracted to the La Follette School in particular because of its um, focus on social policy. There is so much work um, there focusing on poverty policy and what that means for the people in, in Wisconsin where it's based, but also across the country. Um, and that really attracted me to that, that school. Carly, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us and, and, and to talk about this, I mean, massive, massive issue of uh, access to healthcare. Uh, is there any just parting advice you can give to our listeners as far as if they want to be supportive uh, of your organization or to be more engaged in, in this issue? Yeah, I mean, I, I think COVID-19 has, um, and, and the racial awakening that our country has had over the last year has um, created a lot of open doors for people to get active and to be um, champions and, and loud advocates of the important social change we need to see. Project Act Access Now doors are open. Um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot on our website. Different ways to get involved. Um, and I, no step is too small. I think everyone should should do their part to make sure we're seeing the social change we need for everyone to be healthy. Carly Hood Ronick is executive director for Project Access Now. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.